Thank you for inviting me, John. Thank you for welcoming me to this wonderful church to be with the Lord's people. It's great to, before you come to speak, sometimes the worship isn't always as, uh, I'm just going to kick your wire out the way. Uh, the worship isn't always as enthusiastic and as uh, passionate, and sometimes it's hard to preach after uh, that's, not been the, that's been the case. Um, it's always good to be in a church where the Lord's name is lifted high before you come to preach. Well, I always pray before I come to speak, even if I've been prayed for, can't have too much prayer. So I'll just pray again as we come to the word. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it speaks into every situation, every aspect of our lives, every, um, everything that goes on in our world. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word has words for us, relevance for us. In the days we live, as we look back at the past and into the future, Lord, we thank you that your word speaks. And Lord, we pray that you would speak into our lives this day as we consider this matter of remembrance. Lord, how necessary it is that we remember you, that we never forget. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us today to be inspired more to look back and remember and to be changed for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, would you turn with me to Joshua chapter 4? Joshua chapter 4. Hopefully in time you'll tune into my accent. Uh, the Queen's English from Merseyside. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Joshua 4 verse 1. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out to the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the, feet, the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Bear that in mind. Where are they spending the night? Joshua, so Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. I've stayed in some pretty damp places overnight, uh, but nowhere quite as damp as the middle of the Jordan. Why do we remember? Why do we remember? Throughout Scripture from very early on, God calls his people to remember. We see in Passover Indeed, all the sacrifices and the feasts are intended 
for the people to remember God. It's written in the calendar to focus on God, to remember what he has done for them in the past. The Ten Commandments begin by God reminding them, calling them to remember who he is and what great things he has done for them. Repeatedly, God instructs his people to remember and not to forget. God has given us all such a powerful memory. Not only a memory way beyond the most powerful computers, it's the complexity of our memories. So that we remember one thing and it enables us to remember hundreds of other memories. Like when John says about how we were young adults, hundreds of memories come flooding back of people, of situations, of circumstances. This is how our minds, our memories work. God hasn't given us something impossible when he says, remember. He has equipped us perfectly to remember. The fact is, what he calls us to do is not just to remember something, but to learn from that memory. So our memory or our remembrance leads to action. A negative memory should lead to us remembering not to repeat it. A positive memory reminding us to do that again or in like manner. Sadly, in our fallenness, we don't always learn from our mistakes or the mistakes of others. In our pride, we often think, oh, I won't fall into that trap. Or in our live-for-the-moment rebellion, we say, well, I know, I remember the consequences of these actions, but I'm going to engage in the same actions again. And sometimes we choose not to remember. Foolishly, last year, uh, students in Cambridge University uh, voted to move away from poppies and the Remembrance Sunday in the mistaken view that Remembrance Day glorifies war. Nothing could be further from the truth. The First World War was described as a war to end all wars. It's considered that 37 million people died as a result of that First World War. That's more than the entire workforce of this country across Europe. They died in appalling conditions. They were being asked to do appalling things. Children were made fatherless. Women were widowed. Fields were soaked in blood. And as we remember just over 100 years on, the end of the First World War, we see nothing glorious about war. Only those who are willing to risk their lives for the sake of others. If we truly remember, if we truly look back at the horror, it's no wonder it was described as a war to end all wars. And yet, of course, we know that it wasn't. 21 years later, the world was at war again. There had been lessons learnt. Most leaders had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, into that conflict. Chamberlain, with hindsight, the villain, because he believed Hitler. Yeah, who could blame them for not wanting to face the reality of what was before him and didn't want to have the responsibility of sending so many to their deaths? Unfortunately, sometimes war cannot be avoided. Sometimes wicked men must be stopped. Many of us look back from the easy side of history but to understand with the memory of the First World War so at the forefront of their minds, 
They did remember. They knew full well of the cost that was before them. There's something that would have weighed heavy on their minds of those who took the decision. A number who went off to fight, a number of them would have not just remembered others, but they would have remembered their own experiences of the First World War, of what they saw. The bravery of those people cannot be overstated. They have seen, having seen the worst conflict in human history and being willing to enter that arena again. It's no wonder they are coined the greatest generation. As much as Churchill is to be admired, these men are to be admired. Many conflicts have followed. We've not always remembered the cost. We've sent troops into places ill-equipped, missions that were ill-thought out, and even sent them out under false pretenses. Remembrance has never been about the glorification of war, but a remembrance of sacrifices, of those lives laid down. And of course, as we've remembered today, to give thanks to God. And it's still in that act of remembrance, if you saw it last night, God's name is on it, even in our fallen nation. Remembrance, true remembrance, calls us to learn from the past. There's a phrase often trotted out these days that really annoys me. It's often said when there's been some awful scandal in the NHS or in education, or more recently about the Grenfell Fire. And the phrase that's used is, this must never happen again. This must never be allowed to happen again. And it irritates me because the fact is, it will happen again. Or something like it. Why? Because of the sinfulness of mankind. The phrase, the war to end all wars, was akin to saying, this must never happen again. And yet, because of the sinfulness of mankind, it did. The sinfulness of mankind that would see Christian brother fight against Christian brother. That would see the bombing of women and children in their homes in London and Dresden. That would see 200,000 Japanese civilians killed in just two bombs. Many of them swept straight into hell. And of course, it saw six million Jews and a number of others murdered in concentration camps by the Nazis. These are the consequences of sinful mankind, of nation against nation. Of course, that isn't to say that we weren't right to fight. To liberate Europe, how could we not? While there have been many unjust wars and unjust causes, Hitler and the Nazi movement had to be stopped. And that list I shared was a consequence of that. The one thing about the First World War, 37 million people died. Only 7 million of those were civilians, around 19%. But in the Second World War, over half were civilians. We started to learn lessons from that. The Geneva Convention followed in remembrance of those civilians who lost their lives on both sides of the conflict. In all these conflicts, we remember, we look back, we reflect, we hope to learn. As believers, we have a different understanding. We see the sin, we see the pride of man, the blood that was shed. As we remember, as we have seen nation rise against nation, 
we remember that this hope that it would never happen again is a forlorn hope. That more conflict is ahead of us. That violence is increasing generally. That lives are ended cheaply. God is clear. We should remember. We should learn from the past. But we must also look to the future. And we'll consider that shortly further on. But just on this question of remembrance and memorials, part of our remembrance is that we don't let the next generation forget what was done for them. Though they would never forget the huge cost that was paid by those who went before. And the lessons that have learned the hard way so that they would not repeat them. Of course, what we read in Joshua 4 was all about that purpose. It says in verse 6, Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? You shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. The stones were placed so the next generation would ask. The point of wearing poppies and having Remembrance Day is for the next generation to ask, why, why do we do this? What's this about? It's an idea straight out of the Bible. Indeed, the Bible itself is a book of remembrance. It records the past, the most amazing past. And obviously what makes it more amazing is it predicts the future so accurately. But today we live in a world that wants to forget, that wants to rewrite history. History that is being taught to our young people today is revisionist. It applies today's norms and understanding to the past. We rightly look back at horror of the dropping of atomic bombs on densely populated areas. And yet in the context of what happened, the actions of Japan, six years of world conflict, and the speed at which that conflict was brought to an end. It is impossible for us to look back today and understand those decisions unless we understand why it happened at the time. Remembrance helps us understand. We also have a very different way of thinking today. Each one of us is a child of our time. But history has much to teach us, original history, without its revisionism and politicization. The Bible too. It must be that we come to the Bible not with today's understanding. What we have been taught by the world. The Bible has been the basis for what is right and good and true in Western societies. It has corrected society where it has left its principles. This book is no wonder at the coronation that the queen was given the Bible and these words were said to her. Our gracious queen, to keep the ro your royal majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as a rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. Here is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Even the most powerful person, in a sense, in the country, even though I'm a figurehead, was presented the Bible and said, don't you forget. 
These are the things on which good governance is built. Having seen the education system that is put, what it has put in front of our children of this nation today, LGBT indoctrination, their version of citizenship education, pushing out at God and any thought of God, particularly of God as creator. These are the very things that Lenin wrote about in his plans for communist education. This is what we see in our schools today. It makes us understand why it's so important for us to remember what God has said. Here is wisdom of the royal law, the gospel of God, the rule of the whole life. Today we are failing to remember the things that made this nation great, that saw the favor and blessing of God upon us. We need to remember and we need to remind one another. That's what we come to do when we meet together, to remind one another of how great God is, how he is able to act, how he is able to change world history, how he is able to transform our lives so we live for better. We need to remember, and again, we need to teach our children. These stones were to cause the next generation of the children of Israel to ask, to be reminded of who God is and what he has done. So let's just go to another passage that instructs us to do that in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 from verse 1. Deuteronomy 4 verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. Listen so that you may live. I was discussing recently a, a case of a woman who put her head out of a window of a moving train. Unfortunately, there was a tree and she died. And when the death was looked into, it was decided that the warning not to put your head out of window was insufficient because it only warned against serious injury. They said the warning wasn't serious enough. Friends, God's instructions come with this, in, this warning. Listen and live. Pay attention. God's instructions are for our good and the good of society. We must remember them, and we must pass them on. We must teach them to one another. In verse 2, God continues, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you. It's so tempting sometimes to try and explain a passage away that we don't like. Or maybe it doesn't fit our particular theology. If we ever find ourselves explaining a passage away, we know we're in trouble. Friends, we rightly take issue with the redefinition of marriage that the government passed. But we have been redefining God's marriage long before that. In divorce, in adultery, these things that were common 
before such changes in law. We redefined marriage before the government did. What have we added? Friends, they aren't our words to play around with. When we do, we do much damage, even though at the time it might seem like the loving and gracious thing to do. You know what it's like. There's a situation. You know what the Word of God says. You know that it challenges what this particular person is doing. But you want to just water it down, make it palatable. Make it so it comes across so they'll take it. We're not to add and we're not to take away from the word. Continues in verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For the men, all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them thus in the land where you were entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear of all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God who is so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as the, this whole law which I am setting before you today? That old song, God who made us mighty, make us mightier yet. This once great nation was only great because the word of the Lord was exalted, because it was the building blocks on which it was built and rebuilt. The English legal system that went around the world as a model of how society should exist. But it wasn't our wisdom. We took the instructions and the wisdom from the Bible and applied it to society. You see, a similar thing in the founding document of America. These biblical principles. These things that have made the West great. This is why communism fails everywhere it goes. Because society doesn't work without God. That's why our society is falling apart today. Because we have reinterpreted everything through our eyes of our secular humanism. And we've destroyed the idea of society and the family. It's all about self on the throne. It's all about the happiness of man. But God has a better way. And we are required to teach this better way. What made Israel great? It was when they took heed to the instructions of God. And we probably can't expect for this nation to be great again. But we can be, we better be sure that we teach our children and we teach these things in the church. It continues in verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligent so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen 
And do not depart from your, from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. You know, the best way to remind the next generation is to be diligent not to forget ourselves, to live lives of remembrance of all that God has done for us, to speak of what God has done for us. It's easy to be a hypocrite in this regard, to bemoan how the next generation have turned from God's instructions. And we may think we haven't because we disapprove of what the next generation is doing. But what about the things that we accepted in our generation, in older generations, that are against the instructions of God? We constantly have to be looking back to the Word and asking God by His Holy Spirit to put His finger on our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, particularly our attitudes. Some things are so ingrained in us, the way we are, we think that's who we are. But God wants to change us. He's not done with you. Who here has found the Word of God, challenged them on something they thought they were okay in the last year. Really? Not more of you? We have to come to the Word of God openly. So often it's easy to read the Word of God. How, uh, now, I'm sure, maybe you won't put your hands up for this either. How many people have read the Word of God and thought, oh, that applies to so-and-so? <laughs> uh, we find those passages so easy, don't we? Oh, that, you know, that just, that's just so about them. What about those passages that are about us? Are we willing to let God speak to us? To sort out those things? Sometimes those deep-seated things, our thoughts, our attitudes. You often uh, see, so often uh, we, when we are familiar with a passage, we can forget we can look past it. We can skip over it. Some of these wonderful passages that, you know, we learned as children and have, suddenly you just come and read them and you're like, oh, that phrase there, that, that, that word there, there's just something about that that I've never kind of seen before. It's because it's the lively oracles of God. It's living and active. It's not a dusty book. We can look past it if we become familiar. See there in that last part, it says, Let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me or revere me all their days. We have to know our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever read Jonathan Edwards' famous message, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God? We wouldn't tolerate that kind of message in almost any of the churches in the UK today. You'd be thrown out barely two minutes in. Of course, we know that if we're in a relationship with God, we have nothing to fear. But today we hear about how it's wrong to use 
fear to control, particularly in the debate about bringing up children. Friends, do you know that your creator built in the emotion of fear to keep you safe? We have a natural inbuilt fear. Fear of high edges, it stops us falling off. Fear of water and being out of our depths so we don't drown. We have pain that stops us from getting hurt worse. A fear of driving too fast, it keeps us safe. The fear of the Lord keeps you safe from hellfire. From the pain of living of the consequences of our sin. We need to fear the Lord, to respect Him, to revere Him, and we need to teach our children to do the same. How do we live lives of remembrance of all that God has done? Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11 from verse 18. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on, as your frontals of your forehead, and you shall teach them to your sons, talking about them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on your doorposts, of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as, as heaven remains above the earth. For if you are careful to keep this commandment which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, now, some of these things the Jews do, still do, literally do. And I'm suggesting we do some of these things literally too. It's verse 19 in particular. However, of those other things, I think we should be doing them in one sense. What is being said? Keep God at the forefront of your mind. When you do things with your hands... Think what my hand has been created for. When you go out and when you come in, think on God. Before you go to bed, think on God. When you wake up in the morning, think on God. We don't need all the paraphernalia, but if we did these things in practice as individuals, imagine the benefits. You know what it's like if you thought on something before you go to bed, if you watch television, if you watch a film, or if you read something and it disturbs you and you go to bed, it's on your mind, it affects how you sleep. We think on the Lord before we go to bed. That's why we always pray with our children before we go to bed. So they think on the Lord before they go to bed. But verse 19 is so challenging telling us to talk about the Lord in everyday life, in our homes, in our struggles, as well as in the answers to prayer, to be real before our children and our family, 
to confess our failures to our children. To let them know that we are not any valid representation of God. Something very important. Children are to know that we are not like God in any way, shape, or form. That even as fathers, as best as we can do, we are nothing like God the Father. That we are all sinners saved by grace. And that sometimes we're a hypocrite. To say sorry. But above all, to be proud of God publicly. Let them know they have nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed of about when it comes to being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our boys love to sing loudly and proudly about God wherever they go. I have to confess, sometimes that's hard. We were on a train, uh, they love trains, so we took them on a train, a virgin train, a fast train. They were very excited. Uh, first one was cancelled, it was awful. Uh, but when we came back, it was shocker. There was, there was people standing, uh, one, both one on my knee, the other one kind of just alongside me. Uh, and the train was packed and very, people very annoyed. And there they were, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Um, our God is a great big God. And, you know, I don't want them to ever think that that's not okay. That that's anything to be embarrassed about. But friends, sometimes we are, aren't we? Publicly, we don't want to be quite out there as my two boys are. I don't want it to ever come to the point. Now I know there will come a time when they are not that keen to be doing that in public. But I don't want that to ever come from a signal from that I've sent out. Talks about in the passage to prepare them for the life. To pre- we need to prepare our children. Actually, I think it's in the next passage. We need to prepare our children for the life and the world in which they live. It might have to be a bit more Respectful, but it doesn't stop. And if you, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, we will to come, might know, even children yet to be born, that they may arrive a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. If anything, the voting age should be raised because schools have become an indoctrin camp. Things will get worse before they get better. But wow, do they get so much better. In Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will fall from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations and render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and they will spears into pruning hooks. A nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Isaiah 11 and verse 6. Isaiah 11 and verse 6. And the wolf, not the lion, the wolf will lay down, will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lay with the young goat, and the calf with the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze and the young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox 
and the nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child will put its hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my, all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. In Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Friends, there is coming a real and lasting peace. Not the peace of men when they say peace, peace, but there is no peace. But praise God, one day the Prince of Peace will rule and reign from Mount Zion and bring about a kingdom of peace dealing with the wicked in the process. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, you know our tendency to forget. Lord, we praise you for the written word. Lord, we are without excuse. Lord, you have given us example after example of Israel's failings, of the disciples' failings. Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. But Lord, make us diligent to remember, to follow, and to teach them to the next generation. Lord, thank you for this church where your word is exalted and your word is proclaimed. Lord, may people here be faithful, not just to hear, but to do and to teach and to share. Lord, we praise you for your truths that have transformed societies, changed history. And Lord, we're so sorry we live in a nation that despises your truth. But Lord, we honor your truth. We see the difference it makes to our lives. And we exalt you and praise you and glorify you and we praise you that one day you will come and put an end to all this wickedness and that you will rule and reign forever and ever. And in that day, your name will be the only one. We praise you. And you are king of all the earth. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on those days ahead of us not be drowned out by what we see around us. Lift our eyes on high, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.